Good morning, City Church. Uh, Good morning, Facebook world. Uh, Thrilled to be back with you this morning as we kick off a new series uh, titled Skeptics. This will be kind of week one of that. Uh, So glad we got to introduce you to Chad and Lindsay through that video. And super excited for all God is doing in our city, for all He is doing in our church. Uh, And thrilled to announce that uh, Chad and Lindsay will be will be getting baptized as soon as we uh, get back to meeting in person. Uh, so we get to celebrate their faith, celebrate what God's doing through the waters of baptism. Paul says that you are buried with Christ in baptism, and He has raised you to walk in a new life. And we get to celebrate and make that known uh, for this awesome, awesome couple that has become really good friends of mine. Uh, so I know for a fact that we have a number of others uh, that are going through a very similar journey. As Chad and Lindsay, uh, and you may be thinking about baptism, you may be thinking, uh, is that right for me? Well, can you confess that Jesus uh, is the Son of God and that He died for the sins of the world? If you, if you believe that, uh, baptism is step number one for making that public and going public with your faith uh, and celebrating what God has done internally through an external display. So uh, maybe, maybe you want to join in. In the first week that we're back together, uh, we can celebrate with you as well. I think I represent a good portion of our population uh, in our community when I say I'm over it. Like, I'm just over it right now. Uh, I don't have the mental capacity or the energy to follow one more theory uh, or one more chart of predictions concerning the virus. Just got to be honest with you. I'm just kind of over it. Not because of the virus itself. Um, but because of the dead ends that we find at every consideration of every idea presented in the last couple of months. It's like every day you look and there's another idea, there's another prediction, there's another theory. Uh, And so far, it just feels like every one of them has come to a dead end. So let me give you a quick list of ideas uh, that have excited us over the last couple of months before they have exhausted us. Okay? Number one, 2.2 million deaths will happen in our country. That was how we entered into the coronavirus conversation. 2.2 million deaths was the first prediction. Um, Here's another idea. The idea is that the Democrats are trying to take down Trump uh, by using the virus as leverage on him. Uh, so that, that's another idea that got people excited. Uh, another idea is it's a, it's a weapon of war created by China. Uh, and, and that stirred a lot of people to a frenzy and got a lot of people excited. Uh, now the news out of China is it was contracted from a bat and then it spread to the world through that one man. Uh, and that's the latest idea that we were presented with this week. Um, <laughs> there was a poll indicating at one point that 38% of beer drinkers refused to drink Corona beer because they thought there was a connection. Right? That's, that's what we're doing. It's like, oh, I've got to stay away from Mexican imported beer now uh, because it carries the same name. And maybe the, least, the last one that's come out to us this week is Bill Gates, vaccines, and something to do with the Satanists that's on his staff. Um, to be honest with you, I was over it before that one came out, and I have not had the mental capacity to look at that one in depth. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. There is likely some element of truth somewhere in what I just shared with you. Somewhere in there, there's some element of truth somewhere in one or many of those ideas. 
But the problem is this. At this point, I'm skeptical of everything. Like the mental energy to get excited and then to get exhausted and then to look at this and then to look at that. It's like at this point, for me personally, and I think this is for a lot of people, I recognize that in the media and things that are being presented to us, there's probably an element of truth. But at this point, I don't have the capacity to even invest and I become skeptical of everything that I hear. So let me ask a question real quick. What reasons do we question the articles, the videos, and the charts? Uh, I'm really sad to have to erase this whiteboard. It's one of my favorite works of art that I've done yet. But it's time to move on and jump into our conversation. What reasons do we have to be skeptical about all the information, all the articles, all the theories that are being presented to us in this season? Uh, we are having some delays technology-wise, so I'm going to look to the guys in the room as you guys catch up online, and then uh, we'll try to include your answers on this. What reasons do we question these articles, videos, and charts at this point in our COVID-19 journey? I feel like there's, there's a disconnect in, in some portions of information that we see versus what we're actually involved in. Oh, uh, yeah. So... Uh, what we hear versus what we see. There's a disconnect. Like if you're presenting theories to me and it doesn't match what I see, then I begin, I begin to get skeptical and I begin to think, it's like, I, don't, I don't even know if I can trust this. I need to question everything I hear because everything I see may struggle to jive with that and it creates a disconnect for me. What, what other reasons do we have for questioning everything that we hear in this season of life? Uh, bias, you know, like your mm. political bias or even like perspective. Not yeah. What he's connected to what he said, but that's going to create bias also just from what position you're seeing this whole thing from. Derek says it's a, maybe there's a bias attached to everything that is said, everything that's communicated. And I'm going to uh, also tag onto that bias that maybe that bias has an agenda attached to it. Um, everybody communicating something at this point in our process, we question everything that's said because I wonder what their agenda is. I wonder, I wonder where they started. I wonder, because here's the thing it's like every one of us has a lens that we view the world through. And, and whether that's a, a worldview that we have, it's, a, it's a, uh, a spiritual view that we have, or it's a, um, maybe it's a, uh, a Democrat, Republican view, whatever it is, we view the world through that lens, and sometimes that changes how we see everything. We say, they have a, a bias towards this, and they have an agenda towards this, so I don't know if I can trust what they say, because I think they're trying to accomplish something. Um, I'm going to also say the uh, background of the author. Like whoever put out this idea, what is their background? And there's some people that I may hesitate to trust in this. Like what have they done before? Um, what reasons do I have for not trusting them? Um, I have another one. It's the authority. On what authority do they say these things? On what authority do they say these things? And, uh, Tanya says that there's many opinions from a numerous amount of experts. 
are those opinions various opinions from various experts and we put experts in quotation marks because they are experts on what at this point uh, medical experts uh, this expert that expert this expert that expert I'm over it I'm just over it right and we get excited and then we get exhausted we get excited and then we get exhausted um, but I want to say this that today's talk is not a rant about our current pandemic it's just not uh, we're not going to get on here, we're not going to spend the next number of moments talking about the pandemic or about the agendas or about the people or about the theories, uh, but it is our emotional investment into what's currently going on uh, that illustrates perfectly what takes place in our skeptical struggles concerning spiritual matters. I'm going to say that one more time. The emotional investment that we have in the pandemic that's going on illustrates and mirrors the skepticism that we experience concerning spiritual things. So I think there's a parallel that we need to recognize and draw from. Uh, and, and I think because we are all emotionally invested in the pandemic situation right now, I think we can now transition from that emotional exhaustion that we're all connected to and let's turn that towards a spiritual direction and say how does that mirror how does that illustrate and what's the connection between the two the skeptic here's what i want to say skeptics are not limited to atheist and agnostic but also followers of jesus it is not limited to the atheist and the agnostic. We all have a skeptical side. We all, even believers, wrestle with unbelief. Let me say that. Believers wrestle with unbelief. So this morning and this month, we're not just talking about the atheist and the agnostic. We're not just talking to you, but even believers wrestle with unbelief. So over the next few weeks, we're going to level the playing field, and we are going to consider together what it is that we're up against. Um, there's three questions that we're going to answer over the next few weeks, and I think we're going to hit them each week. Number one, uh, what is behind the scenes of our skepticism? What is behind the scenes of our skepticism? What's going on behind the scenes, not just on the surface? Number two, what is the cost of our unbelief? And number three, what lies ahead when we do overcome? What, what lies ahead when we experience victory over our unbelief? So we're going to begin in the beginning. Oh, Derek, I forgot my Bible, bro. It is right there in my backpack. Those of you that are part of our Salt County family, you know that I do that on a regular basis. So while Derek gets my Bible, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to begin in the beginning. Genesis literally means origin. It is in Genesis, in the origin, that we find the origin of life, but also the origin of our unbelief. In Genesis, we find the origin of life, but also the origin of of our unbelief. So Genesis chapter 2 and 3 is where we're going to be this morning. 
<clears throat> but in Genesis chapter 1, it tells of six days of creation. The Bible opens up, in the beginning God created. Uh, and it tells us, it recalls the first six days, uh, these six days of creation. And the conclusion of those, the crescendo, is found in day number six. And in day number six, God says, let us create man in our image. So in his image, he created both male and female. Uh, so that's kind of the, the, the pinnacle of creation. And that's where God says, you know what, this is, I'm going to put my image upon mankind as I make him the most special, most unique part of creation. Now, the next two chapters recounts in greater detail what took place on day six and in the days to come. So chapter one, big picture, in the beginning God created. Chapter two, we're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to see uh, in a more microscopic manner what was going on as that took place. So here's, here's a question. Help me, uh, help me out with some observations as I read this. So I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to listen closely and then help me out to pick out some observations, okay? So, chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed man that he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree, pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now jump to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you do eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird in the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds, to the sky, and every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took out of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. And then the Lord God caused, or the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from the man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds to his wife and they become one flesh. Both man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. So help me out with some observations real quick as we consider that. And the observations we're looking for, they were what? They were what? Let's fill in the blank and say they were and then we want to give a description of, uh, of Adam and mankind in the creation. I'm going to give you 
my first one to get this ball rolling. Derek's already grinning like he's got something to say. So they were enjoying abundance. They enjoyed abundance. Okay? They were enjoying abundance because in chapter 2, verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted in Eden there uh, was everything that he caused to grow out of the ground, and everything was good, everything was pleasing, it was abundant, and God placed mankind in that place of abundance. So they were enjoying the abundance. Derek, what is your grin representing? They were naked. They were naked. That's why he was smiling, because that's funny to a fifth grader. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. They were naked, but that actually represents another one I had on my list. Not only were they naked, but it said they were without shame in their nakedness. So everything, literally everything that they had was exposed, right? And there was no shame to be found. Like, I'm not just, like... They didn't have cool t-shirts from cool downtown shops to, to represent what's going on in our city. But they didn't need those because there was nothing to cover up. So they didn't like need the drawer to put stuff at the bottom so that nobody else could find it. They didn't need to put stuff under their bed where nobody would look. They didn't need to stuck things in the back of their closet so that their wife wouldn't find it. It said that they were fully exposed and had no shame, had no shame whatsoever. Let's keep that conversation. They were what? I've got another one. They were free. They were free. It said in chapter 2, verse 16, that they were free to eat from any tree in the garden. They had been placed in a place of abundance, and God said, you are free to enjoy the abundance. Like, there's... No limitations. Go enjoy it. Go and be free in what I have created. They were safe. They were safe. Was that you or was that an answer online? That was Stephen. Cool. Uh, They were safe, and I've had that on my list in a different way. They were safe because they were cared for. They were safe. They were sheltered. They were cared for. How were they cared for? How were they safe? Because the presence of God was with them. And it was interesting that it says that um, the Lord God looked at the man and he said, it's not good that you're alone. It's like whatever Adam was going through, he was safe because God was looking over and he was adjusting. He's like, I want to care for you, Adam, and I recognize that there's something here that's not good, so I'm going to make provisions to care for you and to keep you safe and to keep you well. Uh, So that was another thing that they were. They were two more answers that I had. They were united, like the husband and the wife. There was unity in there. Verse 24 It said, a man leaves his father and mother and he bonds with his wife and they became one flesh, inseparable. They were one and the same. There was not you and me, it is we. They were united. And the last one I had, they were in control. They were in control. They were experiencing dominion over creation and themselves. 
They were in control. Uh, they were content and safe as God was caring for them. And Sam said they were busy slash productive. Busy. Busy, busy, busy. Tony, you like that answer, don't you? Uh, no, but they were being productive because God had given them dominion over his creation and they were in control. They were working it, they were providing, and they were fulfilling their purpose. Uh, not busy as in busyness, but busy doing what they had been placed there to do. And they were enjoying the dominion that they had over this. So look at this. Then enters the serpent and his craftiness, and he brings about one question. One question. I told you we're looking at the origins of life, but we're also looking at the origins of our unbelief and our skepticism. And the serpent brings in one question. Nope, I forgot the first word. Did God really say? Here we are. They're enjoying abundance without shame, free, safe, cared for, united and in control. And then enters one question. Did God really say? Did he really say that you shouldn't eat? He questions. Interestingly enough, Eve responds to the initial question with a clear representation or a clear repetition of what God had said. She's like, yes, God did say that we should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent comes in, poses a question. Eve responds with a clear repetition of what God had said. But the serpent creates skepticism by offering a new interpretation to a clear instruction. He creates skepticism by giving a new interpretation to a very clear instruction. Did God say this? Eve says, yes, he did say that. Well, maybe this is what that really meant, though. Maybe this is what that really meant. His goal was to have Eve view the words of God as you and I view every new COVID article released on Facebook. Man, I just don't know. Like He wanted Eve to view the words of God like, like that clickbait as you're going through your Facebook feed and it said, new theory. And you're like, ah, oh, I can't handle a new theory. Like I'm just, I'm spent and I can't even open that because I can't even expose myself to another thought, another idea. And he wanted Eve to look at the Word of God in the same way that we look at those articles. Question the source. This is what he wants. The serpent's question, did God really say? And here's what he wants Eve to do. He wants to create a disconnect in her mind between what she sees and hears. Let me reinterpret what God said so that when you look around, you don't see the obvious, but you see this new interpretation. And I want to create this disconnect between what you hear God say and what you see around you. I want you to think that God has an agenda. Like he doesn't want you to eat because he's keeping something from you. He's keeping something from you. Eve, uh, when you hear the word of God, Think agenda. Think God has a bias against you. Think about the author. 
I want you to question the authority of the author. I want you to question the intent of the author. Eve, I'm more of an expert on what God has said than you are. I want to give you this new interpretation. I know the instruction seemed clear, but it's not really that clear. Eve, I am an, I am an expert on the words of God. So I'm going to pose this question, and a new skepticism is going to creep into your life as you view this like another theory, another article. In our video shoot, Chad described for us the impact of him doing this. Like he said, if I was going to tell myself something like the me of 15 years ago, if I was going to say something to him, he said, I would, I would say, don't do this. Like, this is what I did, Chad said. This is, this is how I looked at the words of God. Like, I was skeptical, and, 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 and what I saw seemed disconnected from what I heard. Like, there's an agenda of the church. There's an agenda of the Word of God. Like, I don't know if I can trust the author, his authority, um, and, and I, I buy into what many other experts say. And Chad said, that's what I did. That's what I did. And he told us about the anger and the bitterness that that, 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 that led to about the division that he caused in his marriage and in his family. Lindsay shared her fear of Chad coming to our church like he's going to come in and disrupt this church like he disrupts our family conversations. Why? Because this was how he was viewing the Word of God. And she's like, ah, I'm excited that he's stepping into this, but I'm fearful that he's going to derail like what the pastor is trying to say. Why did God really say the question creeps in? It has an impact on how we view the words and the one who has spoken. The dilemma is this. When we buy into the question, did God really say, this becomes who we are. Buying into this question defines who we are. And everything we, look at this, everything that we were, is erased when we buy into this question. Everything that we were is eliminated when we buy into this question. Follow this thought with me, this train of thought with me. Did God really say, don't eat from the tree? Did God really say that? Um, I mean, it, it seems clear enough. Eve said, yeah, he, he, he did say. But maybe God's a liar. Like Maybe you shouldn't trust what he said. Um, maybe, maybe God is evil and he's hiding something from you. Like he, he doesn't want you to eat because on the other side of that, you're going to find everything that he's keeping from you. Everything that he's hiding from you. He's hiding good things from you. And then you think to yourself, huh, I should taste everything good for myself then. Like everything that I see, that looks good. I think I'll taste it. 
Because God's evil and God's keeping something from me. Yeah, what he said seemed clear on the front end, but I don't think it was as clear as it was spoken. He's keeping something. I'm going to taste everything that is good for myself. If it seems good, I'll try it. And occasionally we encounter forbidden fruit that bites back. Like when we, when we think that way, and I think that's what Chad was saying too. He's like, I thought that way, so I just try whatever I want because it seems good. And actually that fruit bit back and it created addictions, it creates financial problems, it created division in my home. Everything that they were was erased. They're no longer united, they're divided. They're no longer in control, they're addicted. Like everything that I was given, when I take the fruit that looks good, seems good, God's a liar, he's keeping something from me, I'm just going to taste anything and everything, and now everything that they were It's gone. It's gone. (laughs) Should I be angry at the fruit? No. I'm going to be bitter against God. That's how it happens, right? Nobody gets angry at the fruit. Like, dang, I wish that didn't look so good. It's like, no, God, why'd you you do this? Why'd you cause this? And then I take it out on God. And now my skepticism towards everything else he say continues to increase and multiply. Where's my abundance? Where's my freedom? God doesn't care. He's not looking over me anymore. I've lost control. My house is divided. Let's cover up the crime and let's move on. God can become very exhausting when we buy into new interpretation for clear instruction. God is exhausting if we buy into new interpretations for a previously clear instruction. Chad's story is a dramatic, uh, a dramatic one that led to dramatic realities. But like I told you at the beginning of this, this is not simply atheist agnostic, uh, but every follower of Jesus uh, has a little bit of skepticism wired in, a little bit of unbelief that we continue to wrestle with. So what about me? What about the hundreds of opportunities that I have every day uh, to be who and where God has placed me or to muddy the water with the question, did God really say like a hundred times a day every day i get to wake up and i get to look at the world i get to interpret the world i get to look at the word of god and say did god really say that i like shouldn't go there that i like shouldn't do that um you know maybe he didn't maybe maybe it's not that simple maybe maybe there's a better way to look at that. Like I know it seemed really simple and really clear, but, but maybe, I can, maybe I can eat this fruit and have God too. Maybe I can taste this thing and, and just change the way that I view what God has said. A hundred times a day I get to go through that process. A hundred times a day I get to go through that process. A hundred times a day I wrestle with the simple clear instruction of God. 
Did he really say that? Am I going to believe that? Am I going to walk in that? I don't know. Like I know the simple instruction says, follow me here. Seek first my kingdom and I'll give you everything else. Well, what if I sought first my profit? What if I sought first my pleasure? What if I sought first what looked good? Can I achieve more than God would give me if I sought first his kingdom? Like I know that instruction seems really clear. It seems really simple. But did God really mean that? Maybe he meant something else. We all wrestle with this every day. The good news is this. The good news is this. Everything that is lost can be found. Everything that is lost can be found. No matter how far down the tracks we've been on this train of thought. Like no matter how far this train of thought has led us. Everything that is lost can be found again. Jesus is inviting us back to a home where we receive him. And, and he restores everything that we were. Right? We receive him and he restores everything that we were. We can have abundance. He says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have life more abundant. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. The Lord says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Homes like Chad and Lindsay were sharing. She's like, we are not arguing about the Word of God anymore. We're talking about it. How are we going to live it? How are we going to, how are we going to do this? How is this going to impact us? And we're united. Everything that was lost, Jesus is saying, if you receive me, I will restore you. And that's the invitation that we're being given. If you receive me, I will restore you. Since we're talking about skeptics, here's what I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to check your brains at the door. Overcoming cynicism and skepticism often begins by concluding what God has made clear. Like This is not like, just believe, right? It's, like, it's not like, I don't sympathize with all the questions, all the doubts, all the wrestling matches that we have internally. It's not like, check your brains at the door and just believe, just come on in. Just, just forget about everything that you struggle with in your brain. It's not that, but it's this. What God has made clear Let's start there. Like, let's conclude that he meant what he said and that what he said is true. And at that point, we'll let him deal with our skepticisms. In chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, God promises to send one who would strike the head of the serpent. Like the serpent that brought this into play, he said, I'm going to send one who will strike the head of that serpent with the heel of his foot. He's going to crush him. He's going to eliminate the one who causes confusion. We now know that that was Jesus. 
We now know that the promise of the one to eliminate the serpent was the Son. We know that. And we also know that all who receive Him receive the right to become children of God. That's clear. In this book, the words of God make that clear. The one who has come to crush the serpent is none other than Jesus. And to all who receive Jesus, they receive the right to become children of God. And for all who become children of God, He begins to restore who we were in the beginning. That's clear. That's clear. Now I know we have reasons to doubt. We have reasons to wrestle. We have reasons to be skeptics. But if we start there, I think what Chad said will ring true for so many of us. It's not like I've been like trying to change things. It's not like I've been trying to flip the narrative of my life. He's like, I'm just looking up, and it's like it's changing. Like I open this book, and then I look around, There's no longer a disconnect between what I see and what I hear. He's like, those things are coming together. Like, I've never even attempted to overcome my skepticism. I just opened the book and I read it. And the perceived disconnect between what I see and what I hear, it's gone. Did God really say... Yes, he did. He did. I want to pray for you. We'll post some questions later in the day uh, to help you navigate and, 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 and come to terms with your own skepticism. Because um, we all got it. We all wrestle with it. But what God has said is clear, it is true, it is trustworthy. God, I thank you for this chance uh, just to communicate what you have said. Um, And Father, I pray that even as we communicate...